Welcome to Talk in Appalachian and a continuation of Appalachian English's history. So when we think about why do some people say some things and some people say other things and how, why is that changing? Why did my great-grandparents sound like this but I don't sound like this? A lot of it has to do with migration and education and travel. So in the Great Migration, when Appalachia lost 700,000 people, was the first huge migration. And then when the War on Poverty happened, that drew lots of people into Appalachia. Those were, in, in central and southern Appalachia, the 1960s were the first times that people started to hear Appalachia as a pronunciation of Appalachia which is very controversial around here, by the way. Not so much in the in the northern region, right, because it's common to hear Appalachia there, but in central and southern, that's a whole other conversation. Now, having grown up here, I know the way a short vowel versus the long vowel touches a nerve. And for the longest time, I was a nitpicker about saying Appalachia with the short vowel. There was no other way to say it, in my opinion. The long A makes people in certain parts of the region want to fight, and I mean that literally. But first, let's, let's have a history lesson. Where does the name Appalachia come from? Well, in the 16th century, Spanish explorers in what is now Florida encountered indigenous tribes whose name they transcribed as Appalachie. Later, Spanish mapmakers used a variation of this name, Appalachia, for the mountain regions north. So why do people in central and southern areas of the region have so much hate for this long vowel? Well, it's a problem of perception. Appalachians who grew up with the short A sometimes feel that people who use the long A are twisting the name of our region to make it more sophisticated, that it's somehow lacking something the long A can give it but it's substandard unless you give it the hard middle A that it needs. That likely comes from the war on poverty when people from outside the region moved into Appalachia and some of them brought the long A pronunciation with them, which was then used by the television crews who documented what they considered poverty-stricken areas of the region. And for people in mainstream America who only heard the long A pronounced when they started seeing this documentary footage about the region, sort of adopted that, and then it just carried forward through generations. And so that's why you hear members of the mainstream media still using the long A. You hear actors use it. You hear whether people use it. It's still very commonly used on television. I put this question about long A versus short A to our Talking Appalachian Facebook community. And to no surprise, most people from central and southern parts of the region did not hold back on their feelings about the short A being correct. But a couple of folks from the northern parts of Appalachia, and thank you so much for jumping into that conversation, talked about growing up with the long A. They know it's unpopular to say that in more southern areas. That's the way they say it in the northern Appalachian region, and that's what they were raised to say. When I lived in western Pennsylvania, just an hour east of Pittsburgh, I once wrote a column about Appalachia for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, and I was surprised at how many people who wrote to me about that column identified themselves as Appalachians, but I was even more surprised to hear people who identify that way using the long A. 
So the idea of quote-unquote correct depends on where you live. We defend what is most comfortable to our ears and the associations and the memories that we attach to that. I've even heard of people growing up in eastern Kentucky who pronounce it that way, which is likely because of migration patterns. So another thing to remember is that words and ways of pronouncing words move with people. In the northern regions, their long A is the equivalent of our short A, but we're all still part of these ancient mountains, no matter how we say it. So here's what you need to know if you're traveling through central and southern Appalachia. If you don't use the short A, someone might correct you, but you'll also identify yourself as someone not from the central and southern Appalachian region. And that's an association held over from the past, from the people who came in from the outside. It just depends on what context you use the vowel that determines what happens next. So whether you are a member of the short vowel or a member of the long vowel group. Just remember that we're all part of these mountains and we understand the whole concept of intolerance because we know what it means to be judged based on the way we say things. And so we don't want to put that back out into the world. So maybe just keep context in mind. It could be possible that someone grew up saying it a different way than you did. Now, let's talk a little bit more about the history of Appalachian Englishes and how words changed over time. Hello, kindred spirits. If you like the content I'm putting into the world about the culture of Appalachia and you just want to support the podcast, there are links in my show notes where you can do just that. Whether your support buys me a cup of coffee during these long hours of editing, I do it all myself. Or if you want to offer a monthly contribution, for which I'm happy to include your name or organization, or your book as a supporter on our show notes and give you early access to episodes and other perks. Maybe you can just share the episodes you love the most and spread the word about us, which is totally free. I appreciate you and any support you have to spare. Find me on patreon.com slash Talking Appalachian Podcast or at Talking Appalachian on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to keep talking Appalachian. So in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, you have inventions. You have the industrial period that changes the, what we call things. And when during the industrial period, when, when things were being produced and brands were being associated with them, the brand name became the name of the thing. So whether my great-grandmother had a Whirlpool or GE or whatever the brand was, it was a Frigidaire. She was getting her Frigidaire. Frigidaire was her word for refrigerator. I always thought that's what it was. I didn't realize for the longest time that Frigidaire was a brand. I thought Frigidaire was a refrigerator. Cornbread used to be the only bread you had. And then when we could get store-bought bread, they called it light bread because it was white. It was much lighter than, than the bread that they would make. And now it's just bread. But the older folks will still call it light bread. Okay, so I went over this before, but, but why we do it is one reason it's, it's a simplification strategy. Another reason is that we, Linda Scott DeRosier, who wrote Creeker, she says we carry our heritage in our mouths. And that's one thing that floods can't wash away, I think. And that's one thing that these events can't touch. But people can. People can cause us to minimize the heritage we carry in our mouths. And I think people are a much greater danger to other people in that regard than anything else, or a much greater danger to dialect and dialect preservation. But the linguistic artifacts that we carry and the linguistic artifacts that we include in literature are so important. And then connections to what we call communities of practice, whether it's church 
or family gatherings or, or whatever and the and the language that we bring to that and the language that we use to stay connected in those communities of practice because there are cultural and social consequences for not following the rules. Around here, they'll say, if you're not speaking the way they speak, you're getting above your raisin. And I can probably, I can see a bunch of you nodding out there in my mind because you understand that phrase. Don't get above your raisin. Don't try to sound like you're better than us. <laughs>